2: Gators Breakdown episode 120 is ready to go. I'm your host David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at SEC. And joining me tonight is co-host Bill Sykes. You can find Bill on Twitter at Real B Sykes. Bill, you've uh, you reeled in a, a nice guest this week, and uh, <laughs> we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and cut it straight to the chase. Uh, you can hear her back in the in the background, uh, but Bill, you know, thanks for setting this up, and uh, we'll get it rolling here. But joining us tonight from the SEC Network, host of SEC Nation and the University of Florida alum, Laura Rutledge. Laura, thanks for joining us here on Gators Breakdown.
0: Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. I, I've been looking forward to this ever since we set it up via via uh, sliding into each other's DMs <laughs> last week, and, and I'm pumped about it. I, I love getting to talk football in general, but getting to talk Gators football is obviously really special to me.
1: Well, you came to the right place because we do it every week. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, Laura, that, now that the regular season is over, is there any slowdown for you? Or, or since there's two SEC teams in the college football playoff, is it still full steam ahead for a little while?
0: It's it's pretty much full steam ahead, and I, I love it. Though I mean, this is the best time of the year, and. In the college football playoff era, it's like, you know, obviously bowl season was always exciting to some extent. Whoever was going to play in the national championship was exciting. But now the New Year's Six Bowls and the college football playoff just make everything that much more important. So, um, you know, we, we still have yet to crown a national champion this year. And I'm really excited to see. Who I, I firmly believe that this will be the most competitive playoff that we've had thus far. Um, and then, guys, from there, I go right into hoop season. So I'll be doing Super Tuesdays on ESPN, which is cool because I'll get some Gators games. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in Gainesville a couple times and doing some Florida games on the road as well.
2: Well, you, you kind of went into my next question. I was going to say, what's the first thing you're going to do as soon as the season's over? But since you're going into basketball, when, when sports is over with for a little while, what, uh, what, what are you going to do to relax?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, most of the time, the the only time off that I'll get during a year is a right, like right before SEC media days and then a little bit after in July, um, and so that's because I cover softball and baseball and gymnastics and obviously basketball, so I kind of go year-round, but uh, whenever that happens, I always go to... I used to live uh, right out of college, I worked for the Tampa Bay Rays, and I lived in a place Uh, in St. Pete Beach called Pasegril, and I'm sure there are people out there uh, that listen to this podcast that know where Pasegril is, so a lot of times I'll go just hang out in Pasegril for a couple weeks and get my Florida fix, because I definitely miss living in the state for sure.
1: Trust me, I know that feeling. I've been trying to get back there for a few months, so (laughs) that's kind of our well-documented saga on the Gators Breakdown is my my attempt to finally move down with the family to to Florida, and I'm almost there, so.
2: I love it. (laughs) Before we dive, into here, uh, dive in here to Gators Breakdown, remember, you can find all your episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube. Search on those sites. Hey, and Google Play now. I forgot about that. We're on Google Play as of last week. So, uh, I just sure that. that. Yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. We're breaking news now. There you go. Uh, <laughs> search on those sites. You get the links by following Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And hey, when you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. So, uh, Laura, I mean, of course, we got a lot of questions about, the, of course, the busy week last week that was for the Gators and the hiring of Dan Mullen. How would you grade that hire for the Gators? You've been around the SEC, you've been around all these all these coaches in the SEC up close and personal. You've been around Florida up close and personal. So, how would you grade the Gators and, and hiring of Dan Mullen?
0: I think it was an A plus hire, and and I'm not just saying that because I have ties to Florida. I, I truly think that Dan Mullen was the target for so many of these schools. And uh, it it hasn't been out there that much, but I believe that we know he was talking to Tennessee on that final Friday before all of this started to get going. But I believe he was talking to Texas A&M too. And I really think uh, the fact that Florida was able to land him, I mean, he truly was a target for all of these schools that were looking for openings. And keep in mind, I mean, now FSU ends up with Willie Taggart, but that that job looked like it was coming open. A lot of people talking about AM. so he could have even gone outside the SEC. He decides to stay in it, and I think Florida getting him may be the biggest home run hire. I never felt like Chip Kelly was the right fit at Florida. I, I really didn't. I know some people got excited about him, and and I get it. I, I think Chip was out there certainly, but I think Dan Mullen's a better fit. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with Tim Tebow, and, and Tim is uh, affiliated with the coaching staff search in a certain way and he was somebody that from the get-go was very passionate about trying to get Dan Mullen to Florida and so I don't know about you guys but if Tim Tebow says he's a good hire I'm pretty much sold and and I do think that uh, truly just the way that Uh, Dan has been able to game plan offensively and do more with less in Starkville. I mean, guys, Starkville, I don't know if you've ever been. uh, It tries its best, and it's a cute town, but it's hard to get there, and it's just hard to recruit there. Uh, So what he did there to compete pretty consistently in the SEC West, I think translates very well to just a a completely different step up talent-wise that he'll be able to get at Florida.
1: Awesome. You know, one of our listeners uh – Richie Robinson, 74 on Twitter, he actually was wondering about the possibility of Tim Tebow, perhaps returning to Florida in a coaching capacity one day, you know, a lot of people have called for the possibility, especially under Mullen is, is the archetype of what he wants to do a quarterback, could he step in, maybe under Mullen as a quarterback coach, and and if not now into this, you know, present situation, maybe down the road.
0: Yeah, you know, it was funny because I talked to Dan about that a little bit and talking to Tim, too. I mean, Tim said, you know, yeah, Dan immediately called him up and was like, hey, dude, you want to come be on the staff? And Tim's got a lot of irons in the fire right now. Uh, But I would expect that once his – baseball career is over and uh, you know he is 30 years old he you don't want to remind him of that he doesn't like to talk about that (laughs) Uh, but you know when his baseball career is over when he's not doing as much I mean right now Tim's all over the country on any any given week and his broadcasting role is is almost relatively minor in all of the stuff that he does certainly from a speaking perspective Uh, but I I would not be surprised if he got into coaching and I think he would be an excellent coach It would make perfect sense for him to do it at Florida. Uh, And one thing, too, I mean, to keep an eye on, I think even if he's not on the staff there, I do expect him to be very involved because of his relationship with Dan Mullen. And like you guys said, because of what they want to do with that quarterback position. Obviously it needs to happen with Felipe Franks or maybe they can get somebody else in there. Uh, You know, I would keep an eye by the way on Ole Miss and some of these guys that will be able to transfer out of Ole Miss with really no penalty at this point, seemingly Um, you know, maybe a Shea Patterson or somebody like that, you know, who ends up kind of on the market again, maybe there are quarterback prospects out there who, who would be interested in transferring and having immediate success, but either way, Tim would be the guy if you're going to look at somebody who really understands Mullen's offense and what can be done in it.
1: Yeah, and can you imagine that guy recruits living rooms? I mean, <laughs> the guy dove on concrete when he got to Florida and just running conditioning drills. He's going to get his recruits if he comes to Florida. You can bet on that.
0: That's true. That is. Uh, I, I don't think. I, I don't know if anyone would have more success recruiting than Tim Tebow. Honestly, yeah. Who's it, it not really anywhere? anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: Laurie, how is it working with, with with out there with tebow and the other guys that you work with on SEC uh, nation and network traveling around is it does, does Tebow still have uh, you know the, the, the great following that we do Look, we see it on TV we see the signs and we see uh, all the all the women out there asking Tebow to marry him it almost seems like every week <laughs> uh, is, is it, is, yeah does he still have that great following no matter what SEC city you go to
0: yeah, you know, guys, I was in school, um, you know, with Tim, obviously. I was in at Florida from 07 to 11, so he's a year ahead of me. And I just remember being in Gainesville, and he was. He was just larger than life, and it was it was pretty cool because I was getting you know, my start at that point as a radio reporter for WRUF, and so I got to interview him, but I never really interacted with him that much. And so to get to know him and to kind of see what he – you know, everyone says this, but this truly is the case. He, he is everything that he represents, and so that's been fun to see. In action, but I think what people don't know is they always kind of think of him as this larger-than-life guy. He has this incredibly funny personality. Like we always well, have your well, time. And they... <laughs> you got me? Am I yeah, wrong? I think you're back now. Okay, yeah.
2: there we
1: go. Slipped okay, into the matrix well, there gonna... for a bit.
0: I know. Well, uh, it was it was probably Paul Feinbaum's fault because I was talking so positively about Tim. You know, he gets a little (laughs) jealous sometimes. Uh, But no, uh, just just to answer the question, like Tim's been great to work with. And we have such a blast. And I still think to this day, the funnier show would be when we get on that bus together on Saturdays. Uh, it is just uh, pretty hilarious before the show actually starts. And those guys are so much fun. And I just I sit there and pinch myself. I can't believe I get to talk football on Saturdays with some of the best of the best in the country and some of the best of the best who ever played.
2: That's well, how, good stuff. Uh, how, uh, how surprised were you how it all went down uh, with Jim McElwain? And, and do you feel he left the program in good shape for Dan Mullen?
0: You know, it, it was surprising on a certain level. And, I mean, we were in Jacksonville, and we were hearing rumors that something might happen. And and we just kind of thought, you know, at that Florida-Georgia game, I, I remember sitting next to Paul and Tim, and we were like, you know, is this really going to go down? And it was funny because when the news started coming out, some of our people at ESPN were trying to check if it was real. You know, we, we didn't want to go with it on the show if it wasn't real. And Tim was saying no, no, I think we should go with it. (laughs) And now we look back and we're like, okay, well, maybe he knew something. Um, And and really what I think happened there was Florida actually being very proactive about what Florida wanted and that Jim McElwain wasn't it. And and a lot of that had to do with the relationship, certainly with the athletic department. uh, But I really admire Scott Strickland. And and there's some of it that does become – uh, you, you have to sort of take the personal side of it out because I did like, I, I enjoyed it. I thought he was, is a good man. He has a good family and there were some things that he did right. Uh, but at the end of the day, Florida expects so much more and they are at a level where they should be in the national championships every year. There's just no other way to look at it. And so the fact that, that the Gators weren't there, and that it wasn't doing that. I think that's where there was major issues. Uh, it, there were major issues, and it just to me uh, that was part of it. And then when the opportunity kind of presented itself because of the death threat discrepancies, it just made sense for Florida yeah. to make that change. So uh, while I was surprised, it all ended up sense. And 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 truly, what happened is Florida got a jump on everybody else. In the coaching search thing, and and you just wonder uh, if they were thinking about that, knowing that so many of these other jobs were going to be open.
1: It sounded like you were insinuating that Tim Tebow had McElwain fired, but that's just my take. It.
0: Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was it. But but I do think that there were a lot of people at Florida, and I mean we've heard the rumors about maybe Steve Spurrier not be uh, not being. Sure. Uh, his advice not being taken you know all of that i mean that those are the thing when you talk about florida greats they are florida greats for a reason and they should be valued and their opinion should be valued and I think there was just a disconnect there throughout McIlwain's time which is kind of hard to explain Um, but I do I do think he deserves credit for some of the good things that he did which I mean by the way Florida won the East the last two years I just think people were not fully convinced because it, it wasn't a convincing winning of the East and by the way that's not good enough if Florida wins the East, they should be a legitimate contender to win the SEC championship as well.
1: You speak the truth. (laughs) So, okay, on the Dan Mullen thing. Um, I saw where you tweeted recently that Dan Mullen uh, to Florida is incredible. I believe that was your exact quote. You said second best coach in the SEC. And obviously Saban is just kind of the reigning king there and all time great. What is it about Dan Mullen that makes you feel that way?
0: Yeah, I, I think, I truly believe he's the second best coach in the SEC right now. And, and some are saying, you know, so I got ripped to shreds for that tweet or whatever. Uh, people were like, oh, well, how could you not put Kirby Smart in that category? Well, Kirby Smart doesn't have a long track record of, of success. I mean, he's just relatively new at this whole head coaching thing. So that's why right now I'm not put Kirby Smart in that category. Uh, and I put Dan Mullen there because of, of what he's done with having to get you know, two- and three-star recruits and, and fill up an entire team of those guys and have them compete against a bunch of five-stars that everybody else is rolling out. Um, and what he's been able to do, identifying talent, kind of diamonds in the rough, and guys like Jack Prescott and Nick Fitzgerald And there are so many others that fall in that category that no one else was looking at and he was able to develop them. And to me, that's what coaching is all about. Yeah. You can be a great recruiter, which I think he is. Um, You can be somebody who, you know, has the charisma who has uh, who wins the press conference or who whatever wins sec media days. But at the end of the day, if you are actually one of the best coaches in college football it's because you're actually coaching and developing talent and teaching and and i've seen him do that i've seen it obviously on the field i've watched him in practice as well and what he brings to the table from a standpoint of developing young men and getting just every little ounce of talent squeezed out of them and kind of molding that into something that fits in, in, into his offensive system is impressive. And, and one thing, too, I mean, we interviewed the day that he was hired at Florida on the Feinbaum show, and I know uh, you guys saw the press conference as well, but he was pretty clear about the fact that he will mold his offense around the skills, the skill sets and the, the guys that they already have there are so many times where I am just blown away by the fact that coaches come in as new coaches and act like they're going to run some new system when they don't have the talent that, that fits in that system. Honestly, we're seeing that happen at USF with Charlie strong, Charlie strong and Sterling Gilbert come in and they're trying to run an offensive system that requires a quarterback. Who's a drop back passer. And they don't have that. Um, And, and really, USF had an opportunity this year to be undefeated I think they would have been in a much better scenario with Quentin Flowers had they just let Quentin Flowers be what he is so I like the fact that Dan Mullen comes in and he says you know I I know what I'm doing offensively but I am going to let these guys show me what I should do and how I should tailor my offense to what they bring to the table.
2: Laura we got this question from a a lot of uh, followers that we have on Twitter of course, you know, Georgia's in the college football playoff, and Mullen, that's going to be task one: He's win the East, and he's going to have to go through Georgia. And as you mentioned, he's going to get to develop four and five stars now, and not two and three stars. How long do you think it can be for Dan Mullen to take down Georgia in these next, you know, once, one, two, three seasons uh, coming up?
0: Yeah, you know, it's going to be tough. And the one thing that stinks for Florida is that, uh, and and really for the rest of the SEC East, is that Georgia was allowed to get good again. And uh, no one really capitalized, no one really grabbed if really wasn't that good and you, you kind of felt like it was just a matter of time I didn't expect it to come this quick for Kirby Smart uh, the one thing I would say about Georgia is while they will have talent at the quarterback spot they are losing a ton of talent from a running back perspective from a defensive perspective and and they will reload I mean they do have a lot of good players but I expect Florida to reload as well. You know, the one thing about the Gators, and and this is something that I think Florida fans may not want to hear, but they may have to be a little bit patient. And, And by that, I mean maybe two seasons. You know, I don't know that this is some immediate, you know, Mr. Fix It come in and plug all these holes and get it done. Although I will say that when it comes to just playing hard, and I mean, we've even heard this year some Gator players saying, about their own teammates that they weren't playing hard enough. So they might have quit a little bit in games like the Missouri game or, you know, examples of of that nature. And so I think that from at least that standpoint, we will see them play with that relentless uh, mentality that Dan Mullen preaches about all the time. What is it that he always says? Relentless intensity or there, yeah. something. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's what it. Is. So so I, I do think that they will they will play with more want to than we've seen, um, but I don't know if that'll be enough, honestly, to compete against Georgia at least in the immediate future. That said, I expect in a couple of seasons for them to be right back up there. And I do think that Mullen will get done very quickly. You know, the the one thing too is if Georgia, to me right now, and, and I, I imagine this to be the case long-term as well, be the only challenger. I mean, South Carolina has improved. Tennessee's a mess. I, I don't know what's going to go on with Tennessee. So that that's a a difficult uh, area for them. Florida cannot fall behind any of these other schools. And, and when you look at what Will Muschamp's done at South Carolina, that's why it really was so crucial to get somebody in there like Dan Mullen who makes sure that they don't fall behind because uh, you just can't afford to do that at this point.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, kind of along those lines though, you know, a lot of one of our followers, uh, Don Liskam, and one of the big things I like to talk about is recruiting. Don Liskam uh, asks, uh, "Why do you believe, Laura, it's been such a struggle for you have to consistently get top-rated Florida players to come to the university? And do you believe Dan Mullen will get it turned around quickly uh, with the rise in UGA, and Miami? Kind of putting it, you know, money on the line there. Do you feel like this will be a relatively rapid ascension?"
0: Yeah, I, I do think it will, but uh, you know, uh, now we've got Willie Taggart in the mix too, and that sure. certainly changes things a little bit. And I would say, from a, specifically from a recruiting standpoint, you know, the one thing about Florida is is consistently Florida, the state, has produced talent that is more offensive, offensively oriented. A lot of skill position players, and, and you know, there are obviously others, but I, I would say overall. Some of the mobile to come out of the state of Florida have been on that side of the football. I think one thing that's hurt Florida is just the brand of offense they've played basically since the Tim Tebow era is just not attractive for some of these players. They don't want to go there and, and have to be in an offense that's sputtering and is not that effective. And so I, I think if Florida can quickly turn things around from that standpoint, which I do expect that to happen, I mean, there, there is no way. There are still weapons on this team, you know, and some of them have to get back from being suspended. But, you know, depending on what happens there and how things are handled there, I think that's the biggest recruiting tool. Yeah, you can go in these houses and you can say, hey, come and play for Florida. You know, I'm Dan and blah 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 but at the end of the day these players have got to see it exhibited on the field and you know some of it has to do in recruiting with the swag and I I would watch out for potentially a uniform change or a uh what do you call it like not under our you know a brand change potentially I I could see that happening uh, and, it would, <laughs> and it'll be cool you know I think that's a big part of it think it's about the product on the field. So if they can improve in that standpoint, uh, things will be much better. And one thing, too, guys, you know, Florida has recruited, at least under Muschamp, recruited very well defensively. But these big-time linemen and guys who are going to win in the trenches just don't grow on trees. That's a huge priority. Dan Mullen has had success with guys that, you know, really didn't come in looking like what they ended up looking like. Um, and, and so, I do think he can get creative with some of that to make some immediate impact, at least from a line of scrimmage standpoint.
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be a big focus early, early on in this in this uh, early signing period. You know, that's kind of, well, kind of what we're that's kind of what we're seeing already on the recruiting trail
1: uh, mm-hmm. for, for
2: for Dan Mullen.
1: Yeah, uh, quarterbacks so and linemen.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Laura Rutledge from the SEC Network joining us here on Gators Breakdown. We've got a few more questions for her. Uh, and these will be f- uh, Twitter follower questions I'm going into now. Uh, from the Gator Good at J25P, what is the most outrageous story from your SEC network travel so far, on or off camera? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, most outrageous would have to be off camera. Um, you know, there were, there were a lot of times where Paul Feinbaum and I would be going to the same airport. And, and this will not come as a surprise, but Paul really doesn't drive. Um, I, he does drive when he's, like, at home in Charlotte, but he does not drive. So I, a lot of times, will chauffeur him around if we're somewhere. And so we were driving. We were trying to leave Starkville, Mississippi, and we were trying to get to the airport. And Paul gets really frantic if he thinks he's going to miss his flight. He gets very concerned. And so we ran into a barricade, and... <laughs> Paul got, Paul said, OK, we've got to get them to, you know, move the barricade, whatever. So he, he's telling the, these kids to move the barricade. Well, no one moves the barricade. So finally, he gets all mad and he, he gets out of the car and he drops his phone on the ground and goes running over and moves the barricade. And then he comes running back and he's fumbling around because he's lost his phone. And then as he's coming running back, the kids just move the barricade right back to where it was before and he was so mad i mean he just he he was just so furious and he's yelling at me to you know drive the car one way and drive through it and i'm like you know no i'm not gonna drive through a barricade for heaven's sakes we ended up getting diverted and he was all in a huffy and oh it just he he is one of the funniest people uh, because you think about just how how Um, particular he is and how peculiar he is sometimes on TV. And then he's just like that in real life too. So imagine, you know, Paul Feinbaum, just like moving a big barricade and, you know, (laughs) just things like that. He, 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 Paul doing a normal thing just does not look normal. So um, that, that was one of my favorite Paul stories for sure.
1: Hey, along those lines, you've already established that you were at Florida the same time as Tim Tebow. And those were obviously uh, some great years uh, for us football fans, and I know you're a huge sports enthusiast all the way around. But we'll, uh, one question we had from Taylor Chase at KHC Dad, you wanted to know uh, what your favorite memory from Florida was.
0: Oh man, there are so many good ones, and and I really do feel fortunate to have been there during the time that I was, but. I think probably my favorite memory, I I got to cover the 08 National Championship game and uh, just being there on the field, I mean, as a student and really not knowing what I was doing, you know, I was trying to get my, my little radio interviews done and bring them back to Gainesville and all that. Um, But just being on the field and taking that all in, I I just remember thinking, you know, at that point, guys, really, my only goal was to be the Florida sideline reporter (laughs) on like Gator Zone or uh, (laughs) WRUF. I mean, I I honestly thought like if I could just be, you know, what Brady Ackerman does or something, I would be so happy. And and that would be all I all I really ever wanted. So uh, that's how much that that place means to me and how much Gainesville means to me and just Gator Nation. And so. So to to stand there and be on the field after Florida had won a national championship was truly surreal, and um, I will never forget that.
1: And just imagine—did you ever think that you would be on the Gators Breakdown podcast?
0: I mean, this is really big time, guys. This is huge. I made it. I made it. I made it.
1: We're going to install pyrotechnics for next week, by the way.
2: Yeah, so. We'll get our production value up soon. Right? We had to start. We had to start here first. Yeah, that's right. I love
0: it. Well, well, by the way, I. I used to do a recruiting show in a garage with a black curtain behind me uh, that would fall down half the time because it was hung <laughs> by a shower curtain rod uh, on GatorCountry.com. So believe me, like I, I've been there. You guys are doing a great <laughs> job, and and you should be proud of what you're doing.
2: Hey, we we do it for fun. We got families and all this it's just Hey, we're gonna do this for fun, and, and it's taken off more than we ever thought it would. So uh, I'm I'm glad we could bring you know guests like you on. But uh, we do it for more fun than anything.
1: Yeah, we have a great time with it. Hey, I I've got it. a real serious question for you. I, look, you're known, on. As, you're known as a straight shooter. And so I'm going to need you to just give me a straight answer on this. Is it true, right. members I've heard, that you've been contacted about the head coaching <laughs> position at Tennessee? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, guys, I can confirm. I have been contacted and I turned it down.
2: <laughs> you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. You let it down, down softly.
0: I, I tried. I mean, have we ever seen anything like this? I, I can answer no. my own question. No. And, and by the way, I don't think we ever will ever again because it, it has become such a cautionary tale. I mean, this will be a case study to, to pull off a coaching search. And by the way, I mean, what, what what's today? It's the it's the fifth. Yeah. of December Tennessee still doesn't have a coach and and you almost wonder and Tennessee fans would would tell me I'm crazy but you know would you have rather just had kept Butch Jones at some point I mean if we're getting to this point now we're down to Mel Tucker and you know Jeremy Pruitt and Kevin Steele and yeah Kevin's a Tennessee man but had very little success in head coaching opportunities before and got fired was out of coaching for a while you know maybe he comes in and, and does something big but really think what, what's gone on at Tennessee is going to be so hard to overcome for them. I think it will will be with them for a while. If I were them, I would actually just say, hey, let's punt on this year and let's keep Brady Hoke as our head coach for a year and just let the dust settle and see what happens. Now, Tennessee fans say, no, 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 that would make us fall behind even more. But I'm not really sure that just hiring somebody just for the sake of hiring somebody is the right answer either right now.
1: That's a really good point, and, you know, and I think that's kind of what we suffered from a little bit when the whole Chip Kelly saga was going on and, and Gator fans, you know, and myself included, you want the star studded blockbuster hire, the guy that had just won four Super Bowls and he's going to come to Florida and, you know, after game one, year one, things are back to normal, but sometimes it is about making the right move. And I think a lot of us as Gator fans, you know, when we had, You know, maybe we weren't where you were at first, but over the first few hours and days that we had to digest the the Mullen hire, it was pretty clear. This is a very solid choice. And
0: yeah, you make a lot
1: of sense. Maybe Hope could be that guy. And what if he does win nine games, 10 games in the first year?
0: I mean, and then you say, well, wait a second, we, we just sort of lucked into this one. He does at least have head coaching experience, and I'm not saying Brady hooks some splashy hire, but right now, you know, Tennessee, by the way, there just aren't that many people left out there, okay, mm-hmm. so that's number one, but but they also have put themselves in a scenario where I'm not sure they're getting a splashy hire, just with the way that all this was handled, and, you know, I, in talking to a lot of sources that I've had that are close to this Whole thing. Peyton Manning, as well as many others, had signed off completely on the Greg Schiano hire. So, if it's good enough for Peyton Manning, why Tennessee fans is it not good enough for you? And to the point that you're going to drag somebody's reputation through the mud just because you thought that was too average of a coach for you? Um, I, I just, to me, it, the whole thing was unacceptable, and I really think it has has made a lot of potential targets shy away. And we saw it. I mean, we did. Mike Gundy sort of playing around with Tennessee. David Kuklick doesn't want to come back. All these names that would have been exciting. Mike Leach, I mean, golly, John Curry's about to sign Mike Leach and ends up where Don Curry gets fired. So uh, the whole thing's just been nuts. And at this point, I would expect that we are looking at maybe a Jeremy Pruitt um, or a Kevin Steele or a Mel Tucker, which – You know, you're talking about three defensive-minded guys. Who's going to come in there and get that offense back on track? Because Tennessee's offense has certainly sputtered recently, too.
1: Oh, Phil Fulmer just texted me. I'll have to call it back. Uh (laughs)
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, you don't have time for him right now.
1: No. He knows what I'm going to say. It's a no, Phil.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry,
2: Phil. We talk about the the passion for SEC football, but that was the one time where the, the passion went a little bit too far. Uh, from from fans. Yeah. Or...
0: Well, by the way, guys, there were only about seventy fans who were actually protesting outside the stadium, Um, and then there was a, a lynch mob on Twitter for sure. But that's yeah. a little bit harder to to really grasp. But I mean, you you basically uh, just said no to a guy that you had fully vetted because of seventy people outside the stadium <laughs> and some people on Twitter. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, and they're all related <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Laura uh, Josh Gator again a uh, question is probably from your time at Florida, but who is your favorite Gator player of all time?
0: Oh, man, I actually I would say Steve Spurrier. Okay, Um, I I just I've always loved him. I think he's one of the most electric on the field as well as off the field that we have. He's a national treasure. And I'm so happy for him that he's being recognized uh, in the College Football Hall of Fame as a coach as well as a player only four people ever to have been recognized that way and and to me he is so deserving of that and i you know if if coach spurrier ever says anything i'm listening i don't care what it is i don't <laughs> care what he's talking about i'm i'm tuning into that so yeah he he would be my favorite gator of all time
2: awesome bill anything else
1: Um. Uh- <laughs> No, I, that's about it for me. I just, um, I really appreciate you joining us, and uh, I think I speak for Dave. You're welcome here anytime to talk ball and uh, just love awesome.
2: it. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah,
0: whenever you guys need me, just let me know.
2: Yeah, this can't be the last time. This was too much fun. We'll have to do it again.
0: Definitely, <laughs> I'm in.
2: All right, Laura, thanks for joining us uh, here on Gators Breakdown. Remember, guys, you can catch her uh, on SEC Network. Uh, you're probably doing some stu- the studio stuff leading up to the the playoffs, right?
0: Lots of studio stuff will be on Feinbaum a lot, and then definitely Nation will be uh, heading to playoff games, semifinal games, and uh, if we have an SEC team in it, we'll be at the national championship too.
2: Could be two SEC teams.
0: <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? It could be.
2: I don't think the rest of the nation will like that too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, it just means more. Come on. There, there
2: we go. There we go. Alara, thank you so much for joining Edge Breakdown.
0: All
2: right, thanks, guys. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators. Lara Brothers joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Bill, that was fun.
1: It was fun, and uh, I feel like we're just getting started because we got uh, we got a packed show tonight, don't we? We have
2: a packed show. Uh, get, of course, the Gators made their uh, defensive coordinator hire uh, last week with Todd Grantham being named defensive coordinator uh, under Dan Mullen, and you know it was met with a lukewarm response from Gator fans because. All Gator fans, or most Gator fans, remember the the choke in 2010 of the Florida-Georgia game in overtime when Chaz Henry is going to go kick a, a field goal in overtime uh, to, to beat Georgia. And Todd Grantham's over there telling him he's going to choke on the sidelines. So, you know, it was met with lukewarm response from Gator fans.
1: Yeah, it was. There is, yeah, Grantham's got some good numbers. He's, he's filled with some good defenses. But he's just a very controversial figure you know amongst the teams he's been on and, and with Gator fans obviously because of the choke thing but as we go forward and I, we're going to do what we do we're going to break down the numbers and we're going to give it to you guys straight and I've been doing some research on this I even I even had to call in uh, a favor and get some insight from some dog fan friends of mine so uh, I think we got a good little thing here for him
2: there we go. There we go. So Grantham was a nominee for the Boyles Award as the top assistant coach in the country, uh, made an expe- immediate splash in his lone year as defensive coordinator in Starkville. Uh, in his only season at Mississippi State, Grantham spearheaded one of the country's top defensive turnarounds. Uh, Bulldogs finished 10th nationally in total defense at 302 yards a game after ranking 110th last year in 2016. So in one year, he improved them from 110th to 10th. That's 100 team jump in the rankings in just one year. Mississippi State also trimmed 11.4 points off of the scoring defense, surrendering 20.4 points a game in 2017, compared to 31.8 in 2016. Uh, it takes over a Florida defense that allowed 349 yards per game. That's the highest since 2007. 27.3 points per game for Florida this past year. Uh, it was the most allowed by UF in records dating back to 1946. In uh, his time at Mississippi State, uh, they produced six non-offensive touchdowns in 2017, including a league-leading four defensive scores. Bulldogs returned an interception for a touchdown in three straight games. Uh, uh, achieved that against Kentucky, Texas A&M, and UMass. But, you know, he comes from Louisville, where he was there from 2014 to 2016. Uh Grantham squads at Louisville ranked in the top 20 nationally in either scoring or total defense in all three years. He was there. He, he brought that aggressive physical style of play. Uh, so you know he he knows he knows defense. Remember his time at Georgia, uh, as Bill said, uh, spent four seasons there under Mark Richt, excluding um, the uh, two seasons as the associate uh, head coach there. Uh, so, <clears throat> Bill, I, w- I wanted to go um, a Twitter follower of ours. So I wanted us to share uh, uh, some stats that he looked up comparing Todd Grantham. Uh, to Randy Shannon, comparing this past year. So Cameron uh, at Cam FFG, uh, thanks for sending the stats to us. Uh, you know, thank you so much for doing that. So you know, kind of rehashed of some of what earlier was said. Total defense, Mississippi State ranked tenth in the country. Florida ranked thirty-first in the country. Um, third down conversion percentage for opponents, Mississippi State ranked twelfth in the nation, um, or thirty-one percent. Hey, that was a big bugaboo about Todd Grantham was his third down defense. He, improves, he improved that. That was his big bugaboo at Georgia. Really improved it at Mississippi State at 31%. Uh, Florida ranked 22nd in the nation at 33.1. Uh, so, you know, a little bit better uh, for Grantham there. Uh, first downs allowed. Mississippi State ranked first in the nation with 155 allowed. Uh, Florida ranked 13th with 192. So advantage Mississippi State again. Red zone defense. Mississippi State ranked 33rd in the nation. Um, Florida ranked 55th in the nation there. Uh, defensive touchdowns. Mississippi State, 7th in the nation with 4. One fumble recovery, 3 interceptions for touchdowns. Florida was 17th in the nation there. Passing yards allowed. Mississippi State, 13th in the nation with 2,100 yards. Uh, Florida, 29th in the nation with 2,149. And the last stat he sent us was rushing defense. Mississippi State ranked 25th in the nation. Uh, Florida ranked uh, well, Mississippi State was fifteen twenty four for yards allowed in the season. Uh, Florida was 50th in the nation, 1,693 yards. So in all the – a lot of important stats, passing yards, rushing yards, defensive touchdowns, red zone defense, third down conversion, which is big because that's what Grantham's been known as a negative. Bill, I mean, he really turned down. You know, he really turned around this Mississippi State defense in one year and looks to bring some aggressive football to Florida.
1: Yeah, he does. And, and I know we're going to get into his scheme, and, and people are going to, they've been asking about this three, four defense that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Um, but the thing to know, just on a surface level, you know, the guy has uh, about 11 years, I believe, as a coordinator uh, between college and pros. Let's see. And, um, you know, he's been an NFL defensive coordinator. Um, yes, yeah, so 11 years total combined as defense coordinator between college and pros, five years of experience in the SEC, including four as the defensive coordinator, at Georgia uh runs a 3-4 defense. Uh, over the course of, of his combined tenures in those schools and those roles, his defense has statistically been the best in total defense. That was the, the best average uh, category where his, they averaged 19th uh, in total defense you know, across all the years he's been there. And, and he's also uh, a guy that likes a, a defense that creates turnovers. Uh, the average in the nation uh, for all those combined coordinator years was 26th. Uh, He's had some really good years when they generated a lot of sacks. The problem, like you said, is um, kind of twofold. Number one, it seemed like from year to year at Georgia, there was always like a glaring category. Like even when they were 19th in in scoring D in 2012 and 32nd total defense in in that year, they were also 77th against the run. Well, the year prior, they had the 23rd ranked uh, scoring defense and the number five defense and total yards given up in the nation but they were 116th in the red zone. Uh, we never very uh, consistently good on third downs, except for 2011 at Georgia. They were third. Uh, so you had some up and down, but generally the stats were very good, except for 2013. His last year at Georgia, his fourth, things really fell off, and, and there's a reason for that. We'll talk about. Uh, but you know, instead of being 30th in scoring D, 23rd or 19th, they fell all the way down to 78th. They were generally ninth through 12th in the conference in most categories. And so when he left Georgia, uh, he really needed a do-over. Uh, it was a kind of a mutual parting of ways. There was a lot of people that wanted him fired, and he, he took a million-a-year coordinator job at Louisville and did very well. Uh, did very well. That you know Their total defense rankings were 6, 18, and 14, and of course had a top 10 defense again this year at Mississippi State. So when you look at it as a whole, the guy has put up very good numbers. He's built a very good defense. It's just there's been Criticisms that at times that have followed.
2: Absolutely. You ready to uh, transition from a four three to a three four?
1: I am. I, am. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, the, the thing to know about the three four defense, and it's particularly the one that I, I believe that he wants to run, that he's shown in the past, is it's an, an attacking defense. It's mm-hmm. it's one that uh, I think when you don't get to the quarterback, when you you know don't you you don't cause problems for those offensive linemen. When, when you don't uh, get gap penetration when, when you want it there, that, yes, you might get gashed. But, I, I mean, you look across the stats there, uh, they were fifth in the nation at Georgia in 2011 in interceptions. You know, they were first in the nation his first year at Louisville there. Um, second in sacks, even, in 2013, their down year. Um, or, excuse me, they were – I'm sorry, that was second in the conference. They were 28th nationally. But um, this is a team that is, it's going to come at you from different angles. I, I believe they're going to be a one-gap, 3-4 team, I think they're going to, uh, it's going to be a little different uh, in some cases than and in some 3-4 teams. I don't think it will be like Alabama was running, um, but I think they're going to get after it. I think they're going to send people from all angles. He's going to show multiple fronts. I think it's going to give new life uh, to some of the players that are on this roster, guys that maybe can change the position, whether it be from a defensive tackle to a defensive end, defensive end to a linebacker, maybe safety to a linebacker. Uh, some guys that maybe are those tweener types that you know, you might see them have a new chance to to give some good production.
2: Yeah, and you know, I guess you know to compare it from what we've recently seen at Florida. I mean, go back to a Muschamp defense. It's it's, it's kind of going to be like that. It's gonna, it's it's going to kind of look like that. But <clears throat> looking like Grantham, it's going to be a lot. It's it's going to be a lot more blitzing. He's known to blitz uh, a good bit. And I, had to, I found some quotes from uh, Grantham uh, talking about the 3-4 defense uh, a couple years ago when he was talking, <clears throat> I believe it was, with, with Ed off of ESPN. Uh, quote, the 3-4 gives you the ability to adjust, to stay balanced, and to adapt, Grantham said. If I'm playing a 4-3 defense, those four guys with their hands in the dirt are going to rush the quarterback 90% of the time. I think the 3-4 gives you versatility, and it's a little tougher for the offenses to predict where the pressure is coming from. It's harder for the offense to prepare, um, you know. But teams just can't. What we got to look for a four three to a three four really quickly. It, it, you know, it, we'll see the transition. Uh, but shortly after Grantham accepted the Georgia job, he had a team's graduate assistant produce video clips of thirty plays for each returning player on defense. Grantham tried to use that film to figure out where Georgia's returning players fit into his scheme. Quote, I think any time you change schemes, there are going to be some differences, Grantham said. There are going to be some things you have to work through. Uh, Grantham says the biggest advantage of a 3-4 scheme is its unpredictability. Any of the four linebackers can blitz on a given play, or one of the outside linebackers can move to the line of scrimmage at the stand-up end. Quote, if you're multiple in what you're doing, you can bring any of the four linebackers at any time, Grantham said. They have to be accounted for for in protection on every play. They don't know which guy is going to be coming. So what we're looking at here, Bill, is he's talking about transitioning from a four-three to a three-four at Georgia. So he's done this. He's, he's went to a big-time program, a program that recruits well. Now we know Florida didn't recruit like it should have on the defensive side of the ball the last few years under Jim McElwain. But there's still some you know there's still some talent there. There's enough talent there, and he's used to coming in or well, he's done it before, I'm not going to say he's used to it, but he's, he's done it before where he's come in, had to switch from a 4-3 to a 3-4. So I think that already pays dividends. He, he He's coming in knowing what he has to look for to fit his defense.
1: Yeah, he does. And I think the 3-4, the I think the reason he likes that is because it does offer you so many options to be multiple. Um, and I, I think that people need to understand that it's not going to be just a traditional – 3 4 look all the time. And there's so many options there to plug and play and to create blitz looks and pressure packages. Uh, for example, maybe on one play, uh, you know, like a strong side outside linebacker in the 3 4, you've got Antonius Clayton out there. He's 6 258 these days, you know, and so maybe you want, you know, a little more beef on there, but he's a pass rusher. Um, or maybe on the next play, you go with a guy like Jeremiah Moon that's a little more of a rangy. Uh, rangier, lankier kind of build that maybe he's a little more comfortable dropping back into coverage. And so he can almost, uh, as he's calling a series of plays, plug and play these guys to, to kind of keep teams off balance. And you might show them, you know, who just an unknown number of looks and, and uh, personnel packages that are going to keep them off balance. And so I like it. I, I would rather live and die by taking the initiative, putting the pressure on the other team, to stop you rather than – I'm not a huge fan of the, the more read and react. And, and I think one thing also, Dave, I don't think if he does want to run a one gap predominantly – it won't always be one gap, obviously – I think that these defensive linemen will have a chance to really feast because I think they'll be allowed to kind of focus on on the gap and, and creating disruption and penetration into the backfield uh, rather than having to sit and read and, and occupy blockers as much like some 3 would.
2: Right, and what I wanted to do, Bill, was I wanted to go look at statistical leaders at Mississippi State from this past year and compare to what Florida has on the roster already. Okay. Uh, So, you know, at 2017, this past year, at defensive end, Montez Sweat led with tackles for loss with 12.5 and and sacks with 9.5. He's a 6'6 defensive end, 241 pounds. Now we go look at Florida and their defensive ends in the 4-3, and the ones that have comparable size, you have Jabari Zuniga, 6'3", 245. Antonius Clayton, 6'3", and as you, you, you found this out, up to 258. Zachary Carter, 6'4", 250. So now you move to defensive tackle, and Jeffrey Simmons, five-star recruit, played defensive tackle this past season. He was second in tackles for loss at 11, and also second with four and a half sacks. He weighs 301 pounds, stands at 6'4. For Florida, there are some options here. Kerry Clark, 6'2, 319. Elijah Connolly, 6'4, 319 as well. Um, you know, the option of going real big with Daryl Slayton, 6'4, 358. And don't forget, Florida also, and you had to remind me of this: transfer, Marlon Dunlap coming in. You have him at 6'6", six, six, You have to think Todd Grantham would love his defensive tackle size here at Florida in a 3-4 set. So now players, I'd love to know how they fit into the system. C.C. Jefferson, you mentioned tweeners. He's a tweener in a 3-4. We'll have to see where Grantham would like to line him up. I think it would be interesting to see where Grantham uh, can find a spot for him. But another aspect I find interesting is what happens at linebacker. We need more numbers there. Florida doesn't have a lot, and they may have to get some depth back from suspended players. But right now you're looking at Rayshon Jackson, Colin Johnson, Sean Joseph, David Reese, LeCedric Brunson, Jeremiah Moon. You know, in the 3-4, that's not a lot of linebackers here. Uh, but there is James Houston, Ventral Miller, who was suspended, and also Nick Smith, who was injured last year. We have to see what happens with those guys. Uh, but you look at an overall inexperienced group, uh, for the most part, uh, in a group short on depth, you know, could we see some defensive ends stand up on the outside as outside linebackers or some defensive backs come down as linebackers as well with, with the size they've recruited there? Uh, those are things I'm sure Todd Grantham's going to be looking at in the coming weeks as he's going to be, you know, leave, he's going to leave behind a conservative 4-3 that these players are used to and go into an aggressive 3-4 attacking style of defense. So, you know, he's got, I think, some sides of the defensive tackle that's comparable to what he's used to working with and and, and that are, kind of prototypical 3-4 uh, defensive tackles, uh, defensive end and, and linebackers, where I really want to see how this front seven shakes out.
1: Yeah, to that point, I think the one thing, though, when we think 3-4, we think, oh, wow, we need an extra linebacker on every play. But mm-hmm. kind of like what I've said before, that's not necessarily true. And there's a scenario here where you need perhaps about the same amount. If one of those players in that 3-4 in that, um, is, a, you know, always going to be that tweener pass rusher. I mean, like Jarvis Jones, when he was at Georgia, that excelled in this system, was 6'2", uh, 240, I believe it was. Well, C.C. Jefferson played at like 6'1", 242. Well, if he's going to slide into that Jarvis Jones role, a role that I think, you know, I think it'd be perfect for him, I mean, absolutely perfect, tailor-made uh, for him to thrive in this, um, then suddenly that's one linebacker you don't need. And, and really in a 3-4, in a, a lot of times – uh, you, you'll have those, you want two beefy guys on the inside that kind of kind of sift through traffic in there. Um, and the other two might be a little different, whether they be a little rangier, you know, somebody like a Sam or whatever, or or more of a defensive pass, designated pass rush. Um, so, yeah, as far as linebackers, it, we'll just have to kind of wait and see what he wants from that position for each of those four positions. Uh, and again, it's just going to be about those guys that, Maybe find that new life on this team and on this roster. I think it's going to be really fun to watch and see who emerges there.
2: Man, I tell you what, somebody just brought it up in the YouTube chat too. I'd really love to see Marcel Harris come back in this defense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You talk about a boost to the team, you know, just psychologically to get a leader back, a guy that, you know, had played some good ball as they're trying to, to pick things up off the floor, man, that would be tremendous.
2: Yeah. And and in this attacking style of defense and the headhunter he can be, I tell you, he, I've, I'd like to see him maybe try and come back and fit into the system for one more year.
1: Oh yeah. I, I'd love to have the guy back. I think it was a huge blow when they lost him. Uh, I mean, obviously the team was hurting for depth in certain positions and hurting for, you know, talented at certain others. And, and he's a guy that had proven he could, could play uh, with those guys that had left the year before. And so, if they can get him back, I think it would be huge.
2: Yeah, that was Cameron Bullock who, uh, who shared that with us uh, on the YouTube chat. Uh, Bill, you had some uh, uh, other coaching uh, coaching thoughts, too, with uh, the rumor of uh, a new hire being made sometime soon. Uh, what do you mean as far as assistants? Yeah, uh, Knox, right? Uh, you had yeah, oh, yeah,
1: Greg Knox is yeah. uh, reportedly uh, coming over from, um, from Mississippi State with Mullen. Uh, he was the running backs coach and special teams coach over there. Um, he's a guy that just flatly performed better as a special teams coordinator than what we had uh, in Florida under Florida. Um, he, the blocking game was very good there this year. They were 17th in the nation in blocked kicks, whereas Florida was, was 65th. Uh, they were 9th in the nation in blocked punts, whereas Florida was 19th. Uh, 19th in punt return defense, where Florida was 103rd, 19th in kickoff return defense, where Florida was 127th. Um was a few categories where they didn't quite as well as far as block kicks allowed because they allowed, like, one more. Um, but for the most part, it was significantly better in 2017. And, again, that's one year. And I do need to go back and do a little more research year over year. But he's a guy that I believe can, can come in and add to the staff, both in recruiting. Uh, I kind of think he'll be a special teams coordinator, unless side relieves and then he might also coach running backs
2: yeah i could see i could see that too and uh, oh yeah i mean bill i think you would you and i could have definitely done better as a special teams coach than uh, greg nord
1: yeah but not as well as right Gang he's pretty good at that, right yeah i can't i can't,
2: <laughs> I can't do the worm like nord but uh I, I promise i won't fall asleep at basketball games
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh an era i'm i'm glad to see in the rearview mirror but but yeah I think Greg Knox is going to be a tremendous hire if he comes on over, as, as reported. And uh, the staff's filling up, and, and I know a lot of people have their uh, their favorites from the – they want to be holdovers from the old staff, whether it be Sider or Davis. Um, a couple of these guys, or O'Rumpf, uh, is starting to fill up, and it's going to get dicey. But they do have a special team slot, if they so choose, to use it. You know, Especially with the uh, addition of the 10th spot now that is allowed by the NCAA this year. So we'll have to kind of see how they piece that together.
2: Yep. Uh, Bill, before we sign off here, recruiting.
1: Oh, yep. yeah. Um,
2: it's, it's, it's your, uh, you know, your, your wheelhouse. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to make this a PSA in a way, but, you know, the, remember, this is a transition class and a coach that is completely changing the offense and the defense. You know, we're the moving system's uh, going away from more pro style to a spread, going away from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Dan Mullen and and Todd Grantham are are going to want guys that fit their systems. Don't worry about the decommitments right now. It was going to happen regardless when a coaching change was made. It always happens when there's staff changes. So remember, Dan Mullen has only been on the job for about a week. It Hasn't even held an official visit weekend on campus yet. That's coming coming up weekend. Uh, Y'all know how important Bill and I see recruiting and, and the Stars Matter motto. But right now is not the time to worry.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just way too early. We've had a lot of Twitter followers. And, and, guys, I just want to say, too, we have so much content we're not going to get to tonight, but I guess we've got another show we'll be able to kind of flow right out of this with this stuff. But um, we are seeing right now a time of turnover. And I warned you guys like a week or two ago. I said, hey, it's going to be chaos. I'm almost positive that's the, the word that I used. Um, but you have to kind of read between the lines with some of these things. I was contacted a couple of days ago and said, just so you know, there's been a few commits in the 2018 class that have been asked to explore other options. Because remember, like I told you, When Mullen came in, he he handed a a piece of paper and he said, these are the guys that are currently committed to us. He has to evaluate them. Some of them he'll be familiar with because he's out on the road in the SEC. Some of them he won't be. And he's got to decide, is this the quality of player I want? And maybe they are good quality, but then he has to say, does this guy fit my system? And so in some cases there may be a further evaluation and they may meet with the players and meet with the coaches. And they're starting from scratch, completely starting from scratch with these kids. And some of them apparently have been asked to explore their options. Then there will be other kids who are going to choose to do so. They're going and like I'm convinced Matt Corral has been all fall. Um, but understand, I, I I saw one guy on the boards today he said, "Oh, it looks like um, Mullen's not getting it done in recruiting," and, and they point to things like Copeland leaving. That class was not going to hold together because the class that we saw ascending up the rankings when they were jumping in the swimming pool was sold a bill of goods that the staff that was in place couldn't deliver on. The, the fractures were there, and it was a matter of time. A few of those have departed. A few more been asked to leave. Now you're going to see the turnover, but it's too early to draw summary judgments about Mullins' recruiting efforts at Florida. From everything I've seen, it's a night and day difference in the process. We don't see the results yet because he's been there like five minutes. Okay, but instead of making peanut butter sandwiches and saying, I know you'll be a Gator and not calling recruits back. And I could, I could go on for 10 minutes about the buffoonery that has gone on in the last three years. We see this guy out in the street with his Jordans. We see him contacting the top players in the country. We see him flying all over the country. We see the, the, the uh, assistants uh, out on the road. I see the process, I, you know, just from a surface level, just as a, you know, casual observer, I see good things happening. Give it time. Just give it time.
2: Yep, and Bill, before we end, Willie Taggart hired at FSU. Uh, the big worry there is he can come in and, and dominate the recruiting world uh, in the state of Florida. Look, he's not going to do much better than what Jimbo Fisher was already doing. That's – it's going to it, – Jimbo Fisher was recruiting very well at FSU already. You know, top five classes after top five classes. There's there's not much more Willie Taggart can do on the recruiting trail that wasn't already being done um, uh, at, at FSU. And what we have to remember, folks, is, look, it wasn't – it was a month ago, not that long ago. You had Miami, Florida, and Florida State, all in the top 10 in recruiting. There's enough talent in the state of Florida to go around, and you can cherry-pick other other states. But look, there's enough talent to go around. Look, not all the talent's going to go to FSU. Not all the talent's going to go to Miami. There's enough. So if Dan Mullen is a good recruiter, he'll prove it because there's enough talent out there to prove it. There's enough talent out there to prove it. So you know what these the big three schools have to do is, Hey, look, they got to shun away Alabama. They got to shun away Georgia. They got to shun away Auburn from coming down here and, and getting the top athletes. If Dan Mullen's a good recruiter, if Willie Tiger's a good recruiter, and Mark Rick continues to be the recruiter that we've seen at, at, at Miami, look, there are enough athletes. South Florida is saturated. Tampa area is saturated. Jacksonville's getting, you know, North Florida's a, a little bit better. You know, it's behind those two, but there's enough athletes here. Look, there is enough. There's, there's nothing to be worried about with Willie Taggart being uh, named head coach at FSU as far as recruiting goes.
1: Look, man, in the 90s, Florida, Florida State, and Miami were all awesome. Okay? And, and I'm convinced if, if one of those schools is down – and now Miami doesn't have quite the same advantages because they've had some problems and in infrastructure or whatever but um, and commitment. But if one of those schools is down, it's because of them, not the competitors. It's not like there's not enough talent, like you said. And if Florida, Florida State and Miami are running good programs, if they've got good coaches and the facilities are being built, then they're going to take their share. If they don't, then the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Auburns, they're going to come in and get it. There is enough talent for any of them. So as far as Tagger is concerned, yes, I think he's a good hire. Uh, He's a guy that I I could have seen in Florida. But he's a guy like I've said several times. He has a lot to prove. He's never had a top seventy passing offense, you know. So is he going to come in there and be great? I, I think that's anybody's guess. I mean, I think he's he's got as much as many question marks as any other candidate. Uh, but Florida can go out if they get that offense going, and Dan Mullen catches a foothold. If he catches a break on a big time recruit or a flip or something at quarterback, and they can be off to the races. Florida State can too simultaneously. So. Yeah. I, I just I don't see it as a zero-sum game where one of those is going to have to suffer. I think they can both do very well in the recruiting trail.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, just because one of those schools does, does good doesn't mean the other two won't. And like I said, it was a month ago, all three were in the top ten in recruiting. So, you know, it, right. it, it, it can happen. Um, Bill, man, we squeezed a lot in on this one.
1: Yeah, and I've got so much I'm not going to get to. I, I, there's so many questions. You guys continue to just really – be a great part of the show with, with the questions you submit. And I'm sorry for not getting to them tonight. Um, oh, can I, I wanna mention one more thing uh, about Grantham, is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. Um, a lot of people point to that 2013 year, cause I'm, I said I was gonna get to this earlier, I wanna do oh, it. Yeah. Um, they point to Georgia 2013. And if you look at the stats, that's when they fell off. They had been 30th this first year in scoring defense, then 23rd, then 19th, and then boom, Armageddon, 78th in 2013. And I mentioned that there were all these statistical categories that they suffered in. Here's what people never talk about. In the 2013 draft, so the draft right before that, um, right after Georgia had had uh, very good success with the 19th ranked scoring defense and then 8th in pass defense and 17th in turnovers gained, they lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players off that defense to the NFL draft: two first rounders, a third rounder, uh, two third rounders, excuse me, a fifth rounder, and two sixth rounders. They lost ten starters and a total of twelve players that had starting minutes in 2012. So while I'm not excusing, uh, I'm not excusing the the, the, ta- the statistical drop off that we saw in Grantham's fourth year at Georgia. If a team loses, half its defense over half its defense to the NFL and they lose almost all their starters it's going to happen 2013 eight of its top 15 tacklers at Georgia were freshmen and sophomores some of those guys that went on to eventually become very good so i feel like you have to be careful when you say oh he was run out of georgia and i even called my friend jay rogers here uh, is a good friend of mine he's a georgia fan and i asked him his his thoughts on it he said hey man from what i was told um, when I was told the, the schemes were maybe too complex and the players weren't buying in. And there were some chemistry problems or maybe some recruiting issues where they were, you know, getting the players they needed to, to fit the system. But I, I just think it's a mistake to look at that one year and, and look at Grantham as a guy that was necessarily run off because of statistical performance in itself from Georgia.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And Yeah, it, it is kind of just, you know, what it was at, at that point maybe. He was just there too long. <laughs> Maybe that's all it was. Uh, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited for the aggressive, the the fast attacking style defense uh, with the athletes that you can get at Florida, the speed that you can get at Florida. I think it. Uh, I think it will. Uh, I think it will pay its dividends uh, under Todd Grantham.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great hire. And let's hey, let's look at his hires. Florida has hired people that got their big break under Mullen before. He's hired Manny Diaz. You know, um, he's hired. Um, Jeffrey, I can't remember his last name. Jeff, 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 <laughs> Collins. Jeff Collins, yeah, Jeff Collins. It, so he's hired successful coordinators. Yeah, we got every reason to believe he can get it done again.
2: Right. I mean, Manny Diaz, you know, turned around that Miami defense. The turnover chain uh, was hot this past season, and Jeff Collins is, you know, was at Mississippi State before Florida, and now the head coach at Temple. So he's been able to identify and and have an eye for defensive coordinator talent, and and it fits well uh, with what he does there. So, Bill, man, uh. You know, like I said, thanks for uh, setting it up with, uh, with uh, SEC Network's Laura Rutledge. Uh no I think uh, people out there were, were happy with everything she could bring to the table and talking about those Gators and the SEC. Uh, we definitely had to get her on again for sure.
1: Absolutely. And, man, I, how about that little nugget about Tebow maybe coming back to coach one day, huh?
2: Yeah, that was nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> And also shedding a little bit of uh, yeah, – Tibo may have known also uh, the whole thing about uh, McElwain, So
1: <laughs> I still say he fired him. <laughs> he walked into the office, 255 pounds of Tim, and said, you, get out.
2: <laughs> With a baseball bat in his hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need a baseball bat, man. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. All righty, all righty. You can find Bill on Twitter, Bill Sykes, at – Real B Sykes our uh, other co-host Will Miles uh, he'll be on next week's episode you can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his work at SEC Country I'm your host of Gators Breakdown David Waters you can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC once again thanks for our Rulich from the SEC Network joining us here on Gators Breakdown guys and girls out there thanks for listening